Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, November 12th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 1 to 29. The Lord continues to speak of the defeat of Gog, of Magog, and of all his allies, and he concludes with a promise to his people Israel that he will make them dwell securely, that he will vindicate his holiness through them, and that he will no longer hide his face from them anymore. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us Pastor Daniel Golden. Pastor Golden serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Pastor Golden, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to have you on today, Pastor Golden. As we get started into Ezekiel 39, let's talk a little bit of context. The The division between chapter 38 and 39 is, is somewhat artificial. We're really just kind of picking up where we left off in terms of this description of Gog and Magog and what the Lord's doing through them and to them. What What's the context, both of, of chapter 38 and Ezekiel at large, that we need to know to dig into chapter 39 this morning? Well, to, to dig into 39, I think it's important to look at the context of the genre, especially of this entire part of Ezekiel as a whole. And by genre, you know, do we, is this something that happened in history? We know it's during the Babylonian captivity and all of that, but, you know, but there's no clues as to what event this may be attached to. Um, now, now, we, now we who have the, the gifts of the New Testament and the revelation of John, we know the genre of we know that it is the genre of prophecy, revelation, and looking forward. But when I was studying a little bit of the genre, I thought I would look at the, the, the preface of the Old Testament by Martin Luther. And he had some interesting thoughts with it. He actually writes that uh, St. Jerome, back in the fourth century, he wrote, he wrote that no Jew under 30 years old was allowed to read Genesis 1, Ezekiel 1, and Ezekiel 40, verse 2 and following. Hmm. That would mean that this chapter we're going over today is the, the last word. So why would this be the last word in cutting off? Well, the Jew would have no glimpse, no full glimpse of the new temple, the new heavens, the new earth. Uh, and Ezekiel here, this, this picture of the last day we're going to get is a uh, it's the uh, glorious conclusion. It's the Old Testament's book of Revelation, if you will. And that was just simply not known to Jews under the age of 30 years old. So Martin Luther, in his own special way, adds this to his preface. Uh, to be sure, there was no need of this prohibition among the Jews, because Isaiah 29 prophesies that the entire Holy Scriptures are sealed and closed to the unbelieving Jews. And, uh, you know, that, that's something that he can get away with, that's for sure. But, so what about this genre? What about this genre of prophecy and revelation? Um, well, we know it, we don't know, we don't have anything solid to say this is a historical narrative. But this is a question I've gotten before in Bible studies. Um, you know, it especially comes up, uh, I believe, for pastors in the book of Revelation. 
the context of Ezekiel 39, is this something that happened in the past? Or was it prophesied then it happened in the past? Or is this something talking about going on now? Or is this in the future? We know from Revelation, we'll circle back and forth, past, present, future, and around, and sometimes two out of the three, or or just one out of the three. So I think we first need to back up and not place the context of Ezekiel 39 quite in, in a box. And instead, we should know first that prophecy from the Lord is is certain. Has mankind in the, in the past been edified by chapter 39 well sure there's been evil forces in the past that are as uh as trying as god because it took a divine lord to turn him about as we'll see in verse two um and as we but if we look even back further in ezekiel we know this is also about the future chapter 37 we've got the death and resurrection of the saints and we see a a picture of the completion of holy baptism. And we can also look forward uh, to chapter 40 and onward. So we know it is also at the very least a prophecy of our own future. And of course, we do have the advantage of uh, John's revelation from chapter 20 that this is uh, right after the, the thousand years, the millennium. Hmm. So we can say, for certain, this is a prophecy, and this has been put in some sort of chronological order for us. But there's that nagging question again. This Was this prophecy from the past? Is it something happening now, or is it something to come in the future? The future part might be obvious, but when did it come to fruition, or is it now coming to fruition, or will it not be complete until the future? Um, and I, my answer to that when a lot when people will ask me you know is it is it only edifying for this certain moment in time is that well you might be asking the wrong question hmm. for example when, when we hear of a battle i'll use baseball as an example if we miss if i miss my favorite baseball team's game the night before and i'm talking to somebody hey did, and they might say hey did you see that mets game last night my first question about that battle, well, yeah, who won? Who won? Now there's some differences. You know, the Mets game happened in a specific time, and the Mets winning or losing will not have any bearing on my salvation. Thanks be to God for that. <laughs> but uh, when you hear about a story of a battle, a war, or an engagement of good versus evil, that has eternal consequences for you, what questions should you be asking? And, and I think it's who won. Hmm. Take that a step further. Well, how good are the New York Mets? Do they win a lot? Do they always win? Well, no. So our next question is, well, who wins every time? Who wins every time? And then, of course, from those objective truths, what does it mean for me? What are my eternal consequences? Because this has bearing on eternal consequence. So I think we face a lot of questions of, of context, of genre, you know, as we go into Ezekiel 39. And, you know, as I prepared for this, I resisted the urge to look at Revelation. I looked at it afterwards. I'm trying to look at it at the eyes of um, Revelation as it stood for the people that only had the Old Testament scriptures. 
I, I think your your question about you know who won, how badly did they win, or how how much did they win by? Yeah. I, I really I really think that that is a, a helpful question to keep in mind, both for the chapter we looked at yesterday and and chapter thirty nine today, because I, I do think it's going to help us keep our. I think it's going to help us with the win as well. And we we talked a little bit about this yesterday, which, which of course, I know you don't have the the benefit of of having heard that, Pastor Golden, because yeah. we we pre-recorded that. But we we talked about how there are examples really throughout history of this battle that's being described in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, such that the the win is kind of well. And I, I think not to steal too much of your thunder, but it's kind of been happening all along. It will keep happening. Until the Lord, you know, brings the full victory on the last day, and so the the question of who won really is going to to drive us deeper into what this text has to say for us. It it's not that we leave the win behind, but it, it that's not going to be the primary driving question of this. It's going to be rather who's the victor in this battle, and then as you said, what does that mean for me? And I really think that's going to be a helpful way of of getting our heads around this text and using it in a helpful way and and maybe keeping us away from some of those questions that we'd like to ask but the text just doesn't really want to answer. So with with that, let's let's jump into Ezekiel 39. We're picking up at verse 1 and again this really just continues right where we left off yesterday at the end of chapter 38. So Ezekiel 39 beginning at the first verse. And you son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, clubs and spears. And they will make fires of them for seven years, so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any of the forests, for they will make their fires of the weapons." They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day, I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers, east of the sea. It will block the travelers, for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the valley of Hammon Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them, and it will bring them renown on the day that I show my glory, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so as to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make their search. And when these travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog, Hamona, 
is also the name of this city. Thus shall they cleanse the land. That takes us through verse 16 of the text. So, Pastor Golden, take us into that, that first paragraph or so, about the first six verses. What is the Lord giving Ezekiel to prophesy? Yeah, well, for in the first two verses, we see a, a summarizing of actually the, the first half of, of chapter 38. Um, he, he's going he's gonna to prophesy, he summarizes that they will lose, they will die, and they will be uh, food for the birds and beasts, as we'll learn. But after that summary, uh, these hordes, it's, it, they're not going to die this honorable, proud death. They're going to die a death of which the Lord decides. So, uh, you know, another baseball analogy, uh, it's not going to be the Mets beat the Yankees 6-2. to two. Um, th This isn't even going to be close. This is a, an embarrassing death. And yes, the Lord repeats in verse 1 and 2 the summary of 38 but i don't like to think of the word of god at all as redundant when it's repetitive i think it's when, when it's repetitive or when it resummarizes something for us it's pointing us to hey pay attention right. and not only that here's some more details of what exactly is going to happen it's going to take the weapons the weapons of evil the weapons right out of their hands um and we know that the Lord is just. The Lord judges those who do profane his name. The Lord judges those also, not only not only the, the hordes, but those who stand behind the hordes. Those who live in evil and think that they are dwelling securely. Those who are back in Magog, uh, apart from the battle, fire will be sent upon them. And because the Lord, as, uh, as he says, uh, know that I am this, the Lord, the Lord is intrinsically holy and that which is intrinsically evil. And I think this is the key here is we begin to see a complete destruction. This is not even a close game. It's not a close war. It's not a close battle. There's a complete and absolute when we're talking about the Lord of holiness and perfection facing that which is evil. Uh, in this declaration of victory in verse six, that, that is really strong, the declaration of victory at the end is, uh, I am the Lord. You know, this I is actually in the, in the Hebrew language, it's, it's emphasized, it's Ani Yahweh. This is kind of like the bat flip after the game-winning home run. This is the the stare down at the opposing pitcher who just gave it to you. Mm. Uh, this is the Lord making it known that it is the Lord and beginning to proclaim the victory to the opponent. The Lord makes it known that it is the Lord. Um, and we note the completion of this section, this, this first section of, of one through six, and what's left over? Uh, what's left over? Well, there's a few weapons and there's, some uh, well-filled animals, well-filled birds of the air and beasts, because later on, as we'll see, these these weapons, these well, these birds and beasts are going to be um, included in this prophecy of completion of absolution. Hmm. 
Now, the, the Lord's victory over this army, and, and this is going to be a theme that I think we're going to encounter throughout this whole text, is a complete victory, which is saying something, because it may be recalling some of the stuff that was in chapter 38, just how extensive this army was. You've got Gog of Magog who's leading it, but he's leading you know a group of allies that comes from a pretty extensive geographical area. And now for the Lord to say, you know, I'm going to take all of your weapons away. I'm going to to defeat all of you, not just the armies, but the people back home. I mean, this is this is a complete victory. And, and we're going to see that throughout the text. And, and hopefully we'll have some time to reflect on why that's so important, that the Lord doesn't just say, get the guys on the front lines, but he He defeats all of his enemies. This is going to be a big point of comfort for us. And, and I think we'll, we'll take some time toward the end to, to reflect on that. As the as the text continues into verses seven and eight, the Lord we hear more about His holy name. That word "holy" shows up several times in just those two verses. What's what's the Lord telling us there? Yeah, He's He's turning it now. So now this proclamation of of victory uh, that the Lord is is now going to He's going to celebrate with His people. It's it's the World Series parade. It's the Super Bowl parade. It's uh, it's, you know, at the end of World War II, the armies come back and it's time to proclaim victory with his people. Uh, you know, and even uh, they shall know that uh, that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Again, this is one of those points that may seem redundant, but this is extra emphasis. And this emphasis has a point. This is something that is at the complete opposite of evil. Uh, it's it's an absolute separation from evil. It's evil, sin, death, and the devil just simply cannot exist in the presence of the Holy One of Israel. Um, the day, this day of judgment is coming, uh, declares the Lord. Um, he will not let his name be profaned anymore. And it's not only that sin, evil, death, that is caused by Satan will not just be punished or to be beaten until the next battle or, or until the next game, but they're just going to no longer exist. Mm. And I think if we start to think of, uh, as we begin to continue through is this chapter of Ezekiel, we should always keep in mind our sins when it, when it comes to this evil. Uh, sins and, sin and evil goes hand in hand. And this evil no longer exists, and we'll see more significance in that as we go. Into verses 9 and following, we get a, a greater description, a more vivid description of, again, the aftermath, what remains. And the first the first couple of verses there, verses 9 and 10, talk about what's going to happen with all the weapons of war. What What's the description there, and what is the significance of it? Oh, this is, I love, this is simply amazing. You know, what remains after uh, well, there's always spoils of war, spoils of victory, and later we may even see, you know, a, a feast of victory. But even the leftover weapons in this completion, this completing work of the Lord, they're going to be burned for sustaining his people. They're going to be burned for heat, burned for cooking. Uh, you know, this is complete completion. The memory of Gog of Magog and all of Magog will be completely erased evil, sin, death, the memory of which completely erased. This is uh, during this last day of judgment, as we're seeing play out here. Um, and, and then there in verse 11, on that day, I will 
give to Gaga a place for burial in Israel, uh, this burial part reminds us that there, there is no remnant. We don't see the remnant as, as we've seen um, throughout the scriptures to this point. So even to the even to the Jew who's under 30s years old, we're like, wait a minute, there's 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 nothing remaining here. So this evil is going to be complete. They should recognize this. And you mentioned the large horde earlier. Well, I mean, this is so large that it's going to take seven months to bury them. Now, after a war, I know um, at, at times, especially in the days of old, armies had to bury the bodies of their defeated and of the enemies defeated. But seven months of burials. And just to make sure that this evil doesn't surface anymore, if you will, they're even going to take passerbys, travelers, sojourners, and, and they're going to bury them on top of the, of the Magagites. Um, and even if should any bone pop up, should any individual piece of that memory of evil pop up and be exposed because of weather and erosion, the Lord's saying, make a sign by it so we can bury that too. Not one dot or iota, not one jot or tittle of this evil is left. Completion is the will of the Lord as he is, uh, as we're seeing, he's making holy again. I want to go back a little bit to that first section, verses 9 and 10, these leftover weapons that get burned. And again, you know, the, the completion aspect, big, big thing there. I wonder, I wonder too, if the fact that they— well, and also that the fact that the dimension, just briefly again, the idea of how big these hordes are, the fires that they're able to burn from these last for seven years. So again, that, that gives you a picture of just how many weapons there are from this army to be able to burn for that many years. I wonder— Oh, yeah, I didn't I, notice I, that. Yeah. Well, I, and, and the other thing that, that comes to mind when it talks about the burning of these weapons and instruments of war that, that I, I wonder if is in the background here— is from I think it's it's in Isaiah and I think Micah as well talks about uh, beating your swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, so that there's there's no need for the weapons of war. And I, I so I wonder if if that might be part of what's going on here too, is not only has the Lord completely defeated these enemies, but these spoils of war that maybe under normal circumstances you know you if you're the the winning army you might go through the swords pick out the best one for yourself to use in the next battle the yeah. the people of god are able to burn them because they don't need their own swords they've got the lord's sword on their side what what do you think yeah I, that that's a really good point and there's so much of it burning for 7 years that not only the evil is gone the, the, the sin, as we can say in parallel, but also the temptation to evil mm. is gone. Yeah, um, yeah that's re that's really neat that the and of course we have the number seven again. Right. I mean, we can talk about the number seven as completion in a whole other hour, but um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's uh, that that's an obvious uh, number of completion in which uh, God calls you know very good, and He makes it holy. That's right. Well, and I think, you know, just that repeated use of the number seven here is another one of those indicators. You know, we we're talking about earlier the the who who wins or the the question of when, right? That the use of the number seven is one of those indicators that the type of literature we're looking at 
want to make sure we're asking the right questions here. And so the, the idea of completion is going to be important with the number seven. In the years that the, the fires burn and then in the months that it takes for the burial, the, the thought that I, I had with the burial in terms of the, the, well, a couple of things. One, as you pointed out, there's no remnant of the, the warriors, the people of Gog. They're completely wiped out. That, that stands in great contrast to what the Lord does for his own people. You know, one of the big themes of the prophets, and it's come up in Ezekiel several times, is that even when the Lord judges his own people and brings condemnation upon them, because they've earned it, he always leaves a remnant. He, he always preserves his promise to bring the Savior into the world. That right. promise doesn't exist for his enemies. And so, I mean, there's there's a pretty strong contrast between those those two things, I think. The, the other thing that came to mind, and this goes along with what you've been telling us about the completeness of the Lord's victory here, the, the fact that he's doing he's going to these great lengths to uh, dispose of the dead bodies you know maybe maybe the thought the thought there is you know well okay the people of Gog they attacked us while they were alive and the Lord the Lord took care of that and now with the getting rid of the dead bodies now there's there's not even any chance that they're going to desecrate the people of Israel or make them unclean when they're dead I mean it's it's just I think the when you think about the role of a dead body, like in the book of Leviticus, and how contact with the dead body makes you unclean, the Lord's going to make sure that even in death, these enemies of his people have no chance to desecrate them, to make them unclean. Uh, not even after they've been destroyed will they be able to harm them. Again, it's just a picture, I think, of the the completeness of the Lord's victory. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that it's I wonder, too, if the incense of the burned uh, weapons of war pleased the Lord. I'm sure it did because it followed his command. Hmm. Well, there, you know, the, the image of the burning of the weapons, that fire, the, the maybe connection to sacrifice, perhaps, is going to take us forward into the rest of this text. The image of sacrificial feast is going to come up next. But we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at Ezekiel 39 with Pastor Daniel Golden. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, November 12th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 1 to 29 with Pastor Daniel Golden. He serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Pastor Golden, prior to the break, we were looking at the first 16 verses of Ezekiel 39 and seeing the completeness of the victory that the Lord gives to his people, the total destruction for his enemies. And we've seen their weapons burned. We've seen their bodies buried. The Lord takes care of absolutely everything that his people need. And that we, we made a, a, perhaps a connection between the burning of the weapons and the idea of sacrifice. And that theme of sacrifice comes up as the text continues. So we're going to keep reading here in Ezekiel 39. We're picking up now at verse 17. 
As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all beasts of the field, assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of he-goats, of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you are filled and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands, and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations any more, and I will not hide my face any more from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. That is the rest of Ezekiel chapter 39. That was verses 17 through the end of the chapter. So, Pastor Golden, the the picture shifts in verse 17 to a rather, I suppose you might say disturbing, strange image The Lord now tells Ezekiel, talk to some animals and then invite them to come to a feast. What's this picture? What's going on? Oh, this is so shocking to any uh, uh, Old Testament believing Jew. Well, first of all, uh, with no evil remaining, uh, there's no evil remaining. That we can certainly say. It's not just, hey, get 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 Israel back together. We're going to have a feast. No, speak to creation. Get, get all of creation, the birds of every sort and all the beasts of the, of the field, some of which these birds and beasts have uh, feasted on uh, the Magagites, the hordes, uh, if you will. So they will know of this feast. But then we get to this last part, which should be shocking to, to any scriptural believing Jew. Drink blood. Hold on. Time out. I can't drink blood. I, I've been I've been taught all my life not to drink blood. So there's if there's no other exclamation point in Ezekiel, I think there's certainly one here that, that certainly captures everyone's attention. Um, uh, one little side note too, I've looked into in verse 18. It does mention that these animals, uh, the blood of the the rams, lambs, he goats, bulls, all of them, Bashan, Bashan was known to have fat cattle, good cattle. 
these were uh, where they would have sacrificial animals. Uh, and we see, of course, that they are to eat them and eat, eat the fat until filled and drink the blood until drunk. Um, you know, into the Old Testament Jews still reading this and still hearing this in shock. Then we get to verse 20, and verse 20 is uh, certainly beautiful. You shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers. Horses and charioteers, I really think, bring up uh, the image of victory, mighty men, victory, and all kinds of warriors. But having the advantage that we do now as Christians and knowing this is all the company of heaven. Um, this is everyone at the Lord's table. This is angels, archangels, all of those warriors. These are all the saints, uh, past, present, and future, um, invited to this Lord's table with all of creation. And, and I think the mention of this creation, because in those few first few verses, it talks more about these animals than it does Israel. I think this is uh, beginning to tell us a little bit of it's not only a new heaven, but it is a, a new earth mm. as well. Mm. You know, um, Pastor Golden, if I can just briefly, I, I think, you know, the, sure. the picture here in, in 17 through 20 is a, is a very shocking one, as you said. And it, it's I think it's telling, you know, the Lord has been talking primarily in these two chapters to Gog of Magog. He's been talking to him here. Now, Ezekiel is told, OK, talk to the animals and invite them to this feast where where the animals are getting to feast on the dead bodies again a, a pretty gruesome image and i think yeah. the the connection that I, that i make to the lord's supper here is one by way of contrast that on on the one hand if you are an enemy of the lord the sacrificial feast at the end of all time is going to be one where you're the meal and and it's not i mean it's going to be like like what happens to Goliath? You know, think of the the threat that David makes to Goliath oh, yes, of of yes. the birds, you know, pecking his eyes out, and and all those things that David says to Goliath. So if you're going to set yourself against the Lord, that's going to be your end. But if you are on the Lord's side, what's what's the feast at the end? Well, you're not. That's it's not you. Rather, the Lord presents Himself as host and meal. He invites you to that table to receive the gift of his own, not, not your body and blood, but his own body and blood that has been sacrificed in your place. So instead of you being the sacrifice and, and dying, if you're one of the enemies of the Lord, for, for those who are his people, he sacrifices himself in their place and then gives this beautiful wedding feast. I mean, here's you know, I, I know you said you, you tried not to look at Revelation, but boy, it's, yeah, it's sure hard not to right here. <laughs> You know, and think about the the marriage feast of the Lamb in His kingdom that has no end. For those who are God's people, the feast that we are a part of is is just a complete opposite of this, where it's it's the feast of victory, it's the feast of of celebration, and receiving the gift of the Lord, His own body and blood for our forgiveness, and and that's a feast of celebration that for us who are His people, it it continues for all time. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see that now, especially uh, uh, there's. You can only be the meal or the or the diet or the the one eating the meal. There's no in between. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's it's a shocking picture, but and that's where I do think you know the connection that we have for Christians or to you know to the Book of Revelation is such a helpful one. So keep keep going here as as the Lord in verse twenty one, you start to see a shift now, and, and we're really going to start seeing less about Gog and Magog. 
because they've been dealt with. All the enemies of the Lord, as you said, are completely wiped out at this point. And now it's really going to delve a lot more into the effects. What does this mean for the people of God? So take us into verses 21 to 24. Sure. I mean, once he sets his glory among the nations, and then he says, the nations, this is the people, the believers, shall see. Well, before I even get into what, yeah, we're going to see the judgment. We're going to see the victory. But seeing is the same as knowing. And then we have the house of Israel in the next verse, shall know. If the Lord your God says you're going to see something and you're going to know something, you're also going to know that completely. We're going to fully understand, finally, after the Lord's judgment, we will, fun- we will understand this completion of holiness um, that we've been dreaming about every Sunday morning. Uh, the house of Israel will know uh, in this house, this is everyone that is dwelt in the Lord, everyone that is tabernacled with the Lord, uh, everyone that has been in the presence of the Lord and not turned their back on that, uh, turned their back on the Lord and such. Um, and then in the verse 23 here, the, ma- the nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. Well, here in these verses, we begin to understand the mysteries of God's actions in the past. Oh, wait a minute, past. I thought we were talking about the future. Now it seems there's a lot of edifying going on here. Um, In the presence of sin among his people, God allowed the Babylonian captivity. God hid his face, well, because there's enmity. There's a a veil, a wall of sin, a wall of evil that blocked a view. And the Lord, because of his uh, intrinsic holiness, his completeness, the the perfection and absoluteness of him, um, because of all that, he had to deal with them according to their unholiness. Um, God is completely and perfectly just. Um, just being making things right, whether it be reconciliation, whether it be judgment, whether it be righteousness. God is perfectly and completely just. Thanks be to God that he is, because if he wasn't completely just, then God is not God. Um, the, the, the definition of God, God, the Lord would change. And this is comforting. Uh, who wants a Lord that does things halfway? Who wants a God that answers my prayer with a maybe? Who wants a God that arouses doubt and questions? Well, is he going to do it or is he not? You know, is it going to be a a close win or or, or are we going to lose and come back to win next time? What might it be? Yeah, I mean, there's that. That's the reflection that we were talking about at the beginning of, of why is this important that the Lord wins a complete victory? It's it's because that means there's, there. Well, it means He is who He says He is, which is, I mean, that's been a huge theme in Ezekiel, and we've seen it in this text that the people would know that He is the Lord. So He He shows fully who He is, and it means that there's it, at the end there is absolutely no threat to His people. All of their enemies have been dealt with. Those enemies that the people of Israel couldn't fight and defeat on their own, the enemies that the church can't fight and defeat on its own, the Lord will deal with them, and he will do so to the fullest. And the, I think the, the beauty of this these last couple verses here in, in 21 through 24 is that you know, we've seen how the Lord, in, in most of 38 through 39, how he's dealt with 
the the forces from without, you know, Gog of Magog. And if like, to speak in, in the terms that we get in the catechism, you know, the Lord certainly deals with the devil and the world who would attack us. But these last verses are also a reminder, the Lord's also going to take care of your sinful nature too. He He's going to fight against and he's going to win the fight against your sinful nature. He's going to crucify the sinner in you and raise you to new life. And I, I mean, I think that really sets the stage for the way this text concludes. So in, in verses 20, well, just take us into verse 25. I think we really got to slow down here, Pastor Golden, because the, I think the text uh, yeah. really slows down as well. So, so take us into verse 25. Yeah, I mean, even 25 through 29. Now, these verses aren't in a lectionary, but I almost think they need to be because this is something I'm like, wow, I want to preach on this. But in verse 25, we got the introduction to the final scene for uh, chapters 40 and onward. Um, the, and the, remember this, uh, this poor Jew under the age of 30, this 29 year old Jew who only is going to get this glimpse and not the art. But to summarize so far, the Lord's destroyed evil to completion. Um, the memory of the dead has been erased. The memory of evil, even a bone sticking up out of the ground must be reburied. Everything that is left is given to benefit the Lord's people given to benefit the nations, Israel. And then, of course, the Lord gives a feast of victory. And then, if, and, and then by the way, Ezekiel, here's some, uh, here's some comfort for you. Here's why the captivity is happening. Here's some edification that's going to be good for your people. Here's something worth teaching. But, of course, there's no remnant of evil. Uh, Jacob and Israel are being restored. But there's always, always the remnant of Israel, the remnant that is, is the church of all believers, as it is now. The remnant in captivity, Ezekiel, that, that remnant was sinful. So God speaks to both the Babylonian captives of the past and the Christian church today that are, we're, we're, we're held captive in this world of sin. That's why we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. So prophecy, as it seems and as we're learning, even looking only at this chapter in Ezekiel, prophecy includes past, present, and future. But there's more, more to learn here in this verse 25. God, the Lord God, being intrinsically holy, intrinsically good, he says to all generations, this is the captives, the ones in exile, this is to us today and those in the future. I will restore all of you. I will have mercy on all of you. And I will be jealous. Now, this isn't the kind of jealousy we think of these days. Uh, looking at Old Testament scripture, this should for sure bring back Exodus 20, uh, verse 5, at the close of the commandments. The Lord God's jealous. But the Lord, but in this same phrase, he talks about the steadfast love of a thousand generations. This jealousy is his steadfast love for us into eternity. Mm. Then it turns to you. Um, you shall forget your sins. The very memory of them walked away, wiped away. They shall forget their shame. They shall forget all the treachery. This is, uh, this is like bonus comfort to me. Not only am I forgiven my sins, but the Lord forgets them entirely. Yeah. 
the very memory of them wiped away. You shall live in safety and comfort, uh, and they shall know the Lord. Um, because the sin is gone, and the, the, the view is unlocked. Uh, seeing and knowing at when the Lord wills, when we see and are able to um, see him, know him, hear him, it's not halfway. This is also a piece of completion here, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, one last note on on verse 28, because he summarizes again, they shall know that I am the Lord your God. They shall completely know, because all of the evil, all of the veil is gone. Everything is completely uh, transparent. All the remnants will reconcile and reassemble. The scattered are unified. Those that have been scattered in the past, present, and future. Um, and I think this this summary gives us an, it's really coming to an escalation here to this verse 29. I don't know what your thoughts on no, that. No, yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, there's this this part of the text particularly is is really building toward a climax. And I mean, it's, it's really tying together a lot of the themes that we've seen in the book of Ezekiel. And again, I mean, so the picture of completeness coming through here, I appreciate you bringing that out because the on the one hand, we've seen the completeness that the Lord has given in dealing with his people's enemies. Now we're seeing, so that's the completeness of taking away. And now we're seeing the completeness of giving. What the Lord is going to, to bestow, he's not going to leave his people empty to fend for themselves with their enemies wiped out. Okay, now you do your part. He's, he's going to be completeness in his giving, the, the, the completeness of the giving of his mercy and his forgiveness, the forgetting of their sins, the completeness of gathering his people together and giving that total security that won't be threatened by any army at all. You know, I mean, in, in chapter 38, we saw that Gog of Magog was coming against God's people who were dwelling securely, and, and Gog thought, hey, they're ripe for the picking. I'm going to go after them. But the Lord saved them. Now that security is even more complete than it was the first time because the enemies are completely gone. So, yeah, I mean, this is definitely building to a climax. And, and verse 29, really, I mean, there's going to be a, a contrast. I, I didn't notice it until we were reading this together. Previously, how the Lord had hid his face. Now verse 29 is going to, to even reverse that. Take us into that climax that we got at the end of the text. Yeah, gosh, um, I, I like to call this verse. This is the verse of a million sermons here. I will not hide my face anymore from them. When I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So when we see his face with no evil, being no veil, no enmity, um, we will see this holiness. So uh, being the advantage of being a Christian, how do we see the face of God? Well, this is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Uh, God made into flesh. God made into a face that not only we can see, but because, like the Lord says, we will know. Uh, this is something we can understand. We understand human faces. We understand that. We, we don't, in this world, we're not, we're not in a, we don't have the ability to completely understand everything that's going on with God or not even close, but God into a face that we can see and we can understand in the God, the word, the man made flesh, Jesus Christ. And this is, this is holiness, perfection, pure steadfast love in the form of a human face sent to us. 
but wait a minute now, aren't we still sinners? So what's the deal? How are we able to see Jesus, God, eye to eye? Because, uh, hey, I thought sin and evil was this enmity. It blocked, out, blocked us out from seeing and knowing. Well, we now have the picture of the mercy of the Lord, the love of the Lord. Is God, this is God saying in Jesus Christ, I will literally show you my tangible means of restoration, mercy, steadfast love that forgives you all of your sins. Yeah, we've got this wall of enmity up, but the Lord who has defeated the enemy, the Lord who has given us provisions and sustenance, the Lord is also going to forgive us for we done and wipe that away. And of course, we've got this pouring out of the spirit. This does call back to mind Ezekiel 36. Uh, hmm. And it's about, and it's the entirety of Israel, the house of Israel. This is everyone, the entirety. Uh, it encompasses all the things, the, these verbs in Ezekiel 36 and the pouring out of the spirit. This is God doing the doing. He vindicates, he gives knowledge, he cleanses and gives a new heart by replacing your hard heart with a soft one. He gives you a new spirit. And then in that little climax in 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and cause you to obey my rules. Because this holiness that's going into us does not just stay within our skin. Christ has been made known to us. The Holy Spirit uh, is now inside of us and cannot just um, return to him empty. Jesus has made known to us prophecy in the past, in the present, and in the future. In this prophecy of the past, in, in this verse 29, the Holy Spirit in, in, in the past is poured upon Jesus in his baptism. And his face is made known to us by the words of the Father. Points right at him and says, this is my son. With, with him I am well pleased. Jesus also in the past has made this feast of his table known to us. Well, what about now? now what, what about me? What are these consequent, eternal consequences for me? Well, the Holy Spirit is poured upon the believers in our baptism, where the Lord does these same verbs from back in Ezekiel 36. He vindicates us, gives us knowledge, uh, gives us a soft heart, a clean heart. We live in this fruit of the faith, this new obedience. Um, and we also feast at the Lord's table with all the company of heaven. Um, just like those warriors we were talking about earlier. And in the future will be this completion of holiness, this completion of the Holy Spirit's work in us, the completion of the knowledge, seeing the Lord face to face, and this knowledge of the feast. So back to the beginning a little bit, um, that famous Bible study question. Is this prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 39, is this about a past? Something that already happened, present or future? My answer is yes. Because I don't think we should, we cannot, and I will not draw a nice neat little box around Holy Scripture. I cannot put my own subjective rules and limits of my concept of time unto the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The peace that the Lord gives us in his holy word today in, in Ezekiel chapter 39. 
The Lord God is who he says he is, the Holy One of Israel. He does what he says as he wills. And this is objectively, this is to our advantage if it were left up to us. Um, the score would be six to five in extra innings. Uh, instead, this is all him. And if I were, uh, I, I do, uh, I don't know if you want to go into that first verse of chapter 40, because that's kind of the, the conclusion of this uh it, it, it ties it together, but I'll leave that to you. Well, just to, I mean, I do, I do think, and, and, and for us as Christians, the, the picture of the Lord's complete victory that we see here in chapter 38 and 39 is going to set the stage for the last chapters of Ezekiel, 40 through 48. Now that the Lord has wiped out all the church's enemies, what's he going to do? He's going to dwell with his people. And, and I mean, we're going to, when we get, so I don't want to get too too far afield into 40 through 48, because we're going to have plenty of time to look at those chapters in great detail. But I, I do think that it, it helps us to see the timeline. The complete victory of the Lord allows now for him to come and make his dwelling place with his people, which was the point all along, and, and what comfort to exiles. But we'll, we'll pick up more of that when we get to chapters 40 through 48, starting sure. next week. So, Pastor Golden, with just about a minute left, help us to, to summarize this chapter, and again, to see in it our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, certainly. Um, you know, for, for, ed- for anybody listening out there, pastor or not a pastor, what goes on on Sunday? When you hear those words of absolution, when the pastor announces the grace of God unto all of you, um, standing in the stead of Christ, forgiving you all your sins, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, this is completion. It is uh, not of, not only an absolute completion, but it is a complete absolution, fully absolved, erased from the Lord's memory. And then these gifts that we're starting to get a, to get a taste of in Ezekiel 39, uh, we we don't even know 1% of the, the gifts we're getting now is not even 1% of the gifts coming in the future. Because when we're able to uh, see and know the Lord perfectly, walk and talk with him without evil, without sin, without temptation, um, like Jesus says, that's paradise, right? Mm. Pastor Daniel Golden is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia, helping us today with Ezekiel 39, verses 1 to 29. Pastor Golden, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.